are you under 23 and want to buy a freaking investment property? Well, it can be done, can't it, Vic? Yes. <laughs> so, I've grabbed Vic. I'm in Melbourne, Vegas. Do people call it Melbourne, Vegas? No one from Melbourne calls it that. Awesome. I'm in Melbourne and we're going to talk about how she got her first property. Hey Vic, welcome. Hey. Thanks for joining us on Gen Z Money. Thank you, my pleasure. And, uh, you know, we're sitting in the lounge here at the Sofitel <laughs> and it was all nice and quiet and then these people behind us started talking. Anyway, so <laughs> you've, you've purchased an investment property. Yes. Sweet. So let's set the scene. Mm-hmm. What are you doing for work at the moment? Mm-hmm. Um, so right now I work in like a big, very fancy corporate place. Yes. Um, and I do learning design, which Sweet. is actually something you don't need a formal qualification for, hence why I'm able to do it without one. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And you are 23. Yeah. And are we allowed to ask, can I ask like your income range? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I probably gross, because I have a lot of passive income streams. So altogether, I probably make about 120k after tax. Wow. Which is a lot for yeah. 23. Yeah. Um, but it's various bits and pieces, yeah. um, different can, income streams. Can I ask you about that as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sweet. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about the investment property first because that's a really good income for your age. Yeah, it's a lot. And you're yeah. actually living at home at the moment with yeah. your rentals? Yeah, with my mum. Yeah, with your yeah. mum. Mm-hmm. Sweet. And so what made you want to buy an investment property? Well, I think that the main motivation was that I think financial autonomy is one of the most liberating experiences you can have. And I think as well, like I live in a single parent household. Sure. So knowing that I I never want to be in a position where I feel like something's not feasible because I don't have X, Y, and Z. You know, I hear everyone say all the time, I can't buy it because they don't have a partner. I can't buy it because my parents won't help me. And those things definitely help. I would have loved to have gone halves with someone. It would have made it a lot cheaper. But it is feasible. So uh, feasible versus viable, I suppose, are clear distinctions. But I think that as well, the main motivation was like, I have the privilege to be living at home. I didn't have to move out when I was 18. A lot of people have to. So I felt like I don't want to squander this privilege that I have. If I don't have to be paying rent... I should be putting the money that I would otherwise be spending into something to like work. long-term investment. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. That's my approach anyway. And what uh, what type of purchase price was it for the deposit? Uh, so, I got the property. It's a one one bed, one bath, one car space. And I got it for 410 which isn't bad given that there's a spike in the property market right now. Whereabouts? It's in Hawthorne East. Right. And yep. so, it was four ten. What mm-hmm. type of deposit did you put in? So, yeah, it was 20%. So, that's just over 100K. Yeah, wow. It's okay. a lot of money. <laughs> okay. So, I'm very broke now. <laughs> okay. So, besides the fact that you're a freak and saved 100 grand, um, are you also a tight ass? Yes. Okay. Very much so. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. <laughs> Is that why you didn't want a coffee before? Because you would have had to think you would have had to pay me back or something? No, no, no. No, okay. no I actually hate coffee, okay. which is maybe why okay. you know, I don't buy $4.50 coffee. Yeah. I think it all adds up. Sure. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> See, I'm not like you. You're a you're a real saver, frugal, I guess, mm. that I'm a spender. I spend everything. Right. So, you've played to your strengths. Honestly, capitalizing on your strengths is the most important part of financial literacy. Yeah. It's... For me, I knew I wanted to optimise for property and travel. So, I went on exchange for six months, totally self-funded. I went to Michigan State up in north. It's not cheap. No. (laughs) Um, It's really expensive to live on a college campus, but 
that I knew I wanted to do that when I was 18. And so after I turned 21 and it was like an option. Um, but yeah, that, that was the saving goal was the productive incremental sustainable gains over time. Mm. It wasn't, I'm going to Europe for six months. I better like really only eat noodles for two months. Yeah, it's, it's funny because like this common theme comes up when we talk to people like mm. yourself. It's like it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's an investment property to go overseas to Michigan State. It's like I've got a freaking goal mm-hmm. that I want to own and when I've got a goal, I've got focus, I've got intent mm-hmm. and that means I might not spend $20 a day on eating out Yep. because it all adds up as you said Definitely. and I'm focused and I'm on on target, I've got a goal and mm-hmm. I'm going to kill it. Honestly, I just think people aren't cognizant. Mm. Like people say, <laughs> erring on the side of obsessive, but I'm always cognizant of exactly how much money's coming in, how much I could tell you to the cent, yeah. how much I have. Only because I people almost treat their finances like a diet. It's like, well, screw the diet. If I'm going to have one espresso martini, I better have five. Yeah. And it, that diet mentality is almost the way a lot of people treat their finances. Like, oh, I've blown it this weekend. I might as well just screw it and spend Yeah, it's like, I've gone this far. Who cares? Exactly. Yeah. So, what you're saying is, so the undertone there is like, I live on purpose. I happen to life. Life doesn't happen to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, very pragmatic. Yeah. That's just the way I am. <laughs> wow. You're my spirit animal. <laughs> Except you save all your money. I spend all my money. Uh, okay. So... When you were saving this 100K, mm-hmm. how long did it take you? From uh, about when I started working when I was 14 right. through to now. But, I mean, when you're in school, you're not earning much. No, no, like, I was no. only working um, – I, I coached and was working casually. But as soon as I was 18, I started working full-time. Sweet. And that was when it – Okay. So, if you were talking in the ears of a 16-year-old or a 15-year-old at school, mm-hmm. what would you what, – what money tips would you give them right now? Well, actually, ironically, I tutor a lot of – kids in year 12, in year 11, and they say, Vic, you know, what should I do? What do I do next year? And uh, am I allowed to use some blunt colloquialisms on yeah, the podcast? Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> okay. So, I just tell them, don't piss away your uni years. Yeah. I really don't think uni, unless you're doing like med or you have to be there for your labs and it's and hands-on, even if you're at TAFE and it's hands-on, you have to be there nine till four. Uni is the excuse for not saving and not working as hard as you maybe could. Because I think people conceptualizes it in the head is like, well, I'm just a uni student, so therefore I can't. And I totally get that. I'm not saying that the way I did it was the only way, but I think that that's the main justification. Oh, I can't because I say I go to uni three days a week, but really, do you? Not really. Yeah, Most it's, people It's don't. an excuse. And <laughs> like, we're all people and we all do what we actually want to do. Exactly. And it's really bad. Like, weirdly, in the States... Um, People do better with their grades at uni if they work through uni and mm-hmm. not get the student loan because the student loan issue in the states it's not the loan for the course it's I've borrowed a hundred grand I'm going to live off that mm-hmm. and use it for rent use it for food use it for entertainment mm-hmm. for the next two or three years so definitely the student loan debt in America isn't the course fee mm-hmm. and yeah the stats show if you are working part time better on a time management because you're working there you've got to come home and do, totally do uni and stuff totally like I, I i think back about you know i missed a couple of o weeks 
and I missed, you know, pissing around, you know, but I don't, if I could do it again, I'd do it the same way. Mm. And maybe I did miss that student experience, but that's why I went on exchange. Are you an introvert or extrovert? (sighs) I'd say introverted by nature. Yeah, I'm I'm an introvert, but I'm an outgoing introvert. I'd say so as well, but most people probably wouldn't describe me as that. But I think also working in a corporate environment where you're always, you know, when you're younger in a big corporate environment, you're always going to be more introverted, I would say generally, because you don't want to seem too obtrusive. You don't want to take too much of a seat at the table because you know that you have to pay your dues. Mm. So, but yeah, I'd say I'm an outgoing introvert. That's a good description. (laughs) Now, okay. So for the people at school in their teens listening, be intentional, have a goal. It all adds up. Um, Don't piss away your uni use. If you're going to uni, yeah, don't just go there because you're told to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Be, be purposeful about how much time it actually takes. Yes. Because I tell, like, people think, oh, law, oh, my God, do you just live at the library? And, like, it takes a lot of work, I'm not going to lie. However, it's not completely impossible to do whilst working a lot. Yes. You know, it is a lot of reading, but it is one of, you know, so that's why I make a distinction between courses like paramedicine or med where you have to physically be there. If you're doing a course where you don't have to physically be there and it's more self-driven reading essay assignments, I think that a lot of it can be done autonomously. You don't need to be in class doing it. Again, some people need it more than others. I felt like I was more of an autonomous learner and I didn't need a teacher to tell me. Mm. I mean, could I have done better with my grades? Probably. Yeah. But But I I don't regret it. The the offset was best. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, coming up through your late teens into now your early 20s, you're saving this money. You get to the 100K, you know. Was it a target 100K or did you just keep saving and you're like, hey, I've got, enough, I've got 100K now. Mm-hmm. I need to buy a property. Like what was the, the goal there? Well, this is going to sound so nerdy, but I'm really into like building matrices and spreadsheets and I'm not mathematically, mathematically minded at all. Yeah. Um, but I worked out, um, you know, uh, assuming with buffer, with incidental expenses, what happens if my car gets totaled, sure. all of that. This is when I'll be able to afford a property at 350. Yeah. And then if I find something I love and I can't afford the stamp duty I need to live in it, I'll be willing to do and I can afford 450. So yes. it was sort of like specking out all of the possible situations and then when I stumble upon something I loved, I got it. And that's what happened. Love it. But it's just that you've just laid it out a a roadmap in your vibe, your way. Some people might not like spreadsheets. Yeah. Hey, find something, whether it's freaking old school thermometer thing on the mm-hmm. fridge or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and just track towards that. Now, practically speaking, saving that hundred grand, how did you manage your cash flow? Like what bank account setups did you have? Yeah. You get paid one week. How did you do that? Well, my approach, and it, again, it depends on how many income streams you have and the amount in each, but my um, what worked well for me was that I treated one income stream as something I never touched. So, usually my main salary, I never touched that if I could help it. I mean, of course, if I had to pay my rego or some, a big expense, but um, usually I lived off just some of my passive income streams or casual income and it was like if I earn so many hundred dollars per month on that, that's my budget. And if I decide to work a little bit more, then I can treat myself a little bit more right. that month. So you played to your – okay, so what you actually did, you did a 
top-down budget, which basically Definitely means, mm-hmm. uh, for those listening, top-down budget means income. I will work to the income. Where a bottom-up budget at the P&L, you have your expenses at the bottom. Um, and my spending plan probably is more of a, a bottom-up type budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you do, you lay out how much it costs you to exist and then you've got to earn at least that amount of income. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so you were just, if I earned good money that week, fortnight or whatever, I might, you know, get my hair did or something like that. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And it didn't mean, I think that when people see such a pragmatic approach or something, someone will ask me how you do it. I'll be like, let me show you my spreadsheet. And there'll be like columns and that's the way mine work. And I understand that it's not for everyone. But I think as well, if I had an excess, I'd be like, I've been eyeing this thing. Can I afford it this month? No. And then if I get to next month and I can afford it, it then gives me that reflection. Do I really want it that badly? Do Mm. I have to have it this month? Most expenses and most wants. See, me, I'd be like, I want it now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing. There are plenty of times where I've been like, I want it now. And I, I do it and I make up the deficit the next month. But usually, if I wait a month, I've either thought, I don't need it as badly over, or yeah. I don't need it as urgently as I once thought. <laughs> right. Okay. So, what I'm just kind of picking up lessons for people listening. Mm. Um, you've got a system and you use that system, whether it's your own system, my spending plan, or you've, I don't know, get paid cash and you have envelopes and do it old school. Mm-hmm. Just have a system mm-hmm. and stick to it mm-hmm. and couple that system with your goals. Definitely. Because I think people think they're always more aware than they are. Mm. And then when you see it black and white in front of you, you're like, I have no idea how much I was spending. Yeah. Because if, if you treat everything as an anomaly, I'll just have this one dinner. I'll just buy this one coffee. That's not an anomaly. That's a trend. So, growing up in a single parent household, <laughs> mm-hmm. do you think that affected you in the, I guess, in a weird way that, you know, I've actually have to build my own life because, you know mum has had to survive on her own or something like that. Like yeah, it's yeah. just been that, I don't know, internal thing of, no, I need to do this. And, a you know, a person is, another person isn't my plan or, mm. or anything like that. Well, actually it was a bit of a unique situation because my parents actually split when I was a lot older. Sure. So I was in my teens. Okay. So I was aware enough of what was happening to really understand the ramifications because mm. a lot of the time, whether you're married de facto, whatever, when you split, it can render so many people absolutely destitute. To halve assets completely can really affect. We were lucky, um, but I don't want to rely on luck. Mm. I don't want to say I need to wait until mm. someone else has the same financial stability as me and we can go halves. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that my mum really taught me because she was always so financially conscious. She always had a spreadsheet. Yeah. She always said, you know, Victoria, you need to optimise for sustainable pleasure, not mm intermittent you know do I remember that one dinner probably not but I I will remember the day I got my house and the pride that I felt because absolutely I did it yeah and there were many supporters along the way but in terms of financial assistance if I can rely on myself for that I feel like come at me like I'll be able to do it sweet now I want to um, move into the investment property type purchase Mm -hmm. but firstly tell me about this gift that you've got so, oh, I've had that for so many years. So where did so you've got a Louis Vuitton bag? Because <laughs> I'm like, is that to a real? money podcast? Yeah, it is real. Yeah. So where did you get? Are you allowed to tell me or? Yeah, yeah. So it, it was a gift. Yeah. 
from oh. a suitor a while back. Oh. Um, but the thing, uh, again, this is one of the investment strategies that I employed and I don't think it's for everyone, but a lot of people don't think that luxury goods are a terrible investment. I think that often with cars they are. But actually, if you'll notice historically, luxury goods, um, you know, classic bags can be consigned and I've sometimes tripled my investment. They'll wow. discontinue a particular Chanel or whatever yeah. and there'll be some collector somewhere in Europe whose wife will pay 15 grand for it and you paid four and a half. Wow. And again, it's it's very volatile though because there are some things you think are great, like anything. Yeah. But actually, I think that if you make smart luxury good purchases, they can actually be such a smart investment. Like what would that bag have been worth retail? Um, retail, it's probably like $1,200. Now, yeah. this particular one is more like utility. Sure. But I have consigned several in the past and really? made double. Wow. Yeah. Is I, that I think it's a good investment. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Um, and Got to treat yourself. Yeah, and, <laughs> and but like it's quality product it's, anyway. You, you know, if you buy proper Italian leather, you buy a classic designer good, they'll discontinue it at some point, supply and demand. Yeah. And I found that that's worked well. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you knew you were able to live with your mum for, I guess, the medium term. Mm-hmm. So, finish law at uni, yep. you're working. How many hours a week are you working at the current place? Um, so, full-time. So And studying on the side? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, you, you wanted to, you know, build your financial investments for the future. Mm-hmm. What's the strategy? Is it to live with mum for the next couple of years, buy an investment property, then keep saving and then buy another place to live or move out and rent yourself somewhere and rent vest, quote unquote? Mm. Yeah. Well... Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that I don't, I'm not sure. Um, for me right now, because I don't think I am going to put roots down in Melbourne as of right now, um, that's up in the air. But I would probably still continue investing in Melbourne because I, right now, my new thing is that I plan to do my master's overseas. So, if I'm going to do that, um, I'll probably keep mooching off mom for a little bit longer um, but yeah, I'll probably live in one of my investments um, when the time comes, 25, whenever. Yep. Um, and then if I have someone who wants to live there with me, great, let's split it. That would help me with the mortgage. Yes. But um, yeah, the, the plan is that I will, my, my new saving goal is just, okay, when are we buying the next investment property? Yeah, sweet. Yeah. So how did you go about sourcing the property? Did you get help, other research, or did you do your own research? Yeah, so I, this is one of my weaknesses, which I'm trying to improve. I typically research very siloed. I don't seek out as many or leverage as many skills of other people as I probably should. And what I realized really quickly is that it's not so much financial literacy because investment property and market trends and the perks and the troughs is something that everybody needs to learn. Just most people will learn it later. Because I feel like it's vested, you know, like you see couples at open houses and like the guy or the girl or whatever partner is there, one of them will know what's going on. The other one has no idea. So, I was like, I can't be caught in that that (laughs) um, dynamic because it's just me. So, it meant going to every open house. It meant talking to every real estate agent, getting them to put me on mailing lists for off-market properties, um, 
talking to mortgage lenders. Um, what's good as well, if you're young and you're working in a corporate workplace, you're probably going to be one of the youngest. And chances are someone in your team um, is going to have bought a property at some point. Absolutely. So I actually work in an account in the accounting sector. I'm not an accountant, but um, yeah. so I was like, all these people have previously been financial advisors. Let's build a rapport because we don't have age in common. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, they were in their 60s and they were like, Vic, this is what you got to do. you got to do this. you got to do that. You have to leverage ex- expertise that you don't have. So, if you feel like, oh, I'm in my 20s, like, how do you find out? Well, the same way everybody does. You have to find it from someone who's done it before. Yeah. Or even like uh, for those listening, we do a podcast called My Millennial Money Property, which mm-hmm. is just all kind of about investing in property. Yeah. So, there's so much more information out there now. Totally. If you don't have the face-to-face opportunities like you've had. Mm -hmm. So, basically, you just gleaned as much information. You were a sponge, chatted to as many people as possible. Yep. Did you go to a mortgage broker or direct to a bank? Yes. No mortgage broker. And how was that experience? Good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my mum helped me out a lot because she has several investment properties. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think as well they will engage you in a different way when they know it's your first home, especially as an investor. Yes. Um, and what I found really refreshing, most um, mortgage lenders that I've met have been more than happy to help me because they feel really empowered that someone so young is, is being straight and saying, I'm not sure. Can you help me? You have to put your ego to the side and just acknowledge that you don't know everything. Well, <laughs> and you've got to let them do their job as well. Absolutely. I mean, and if I was a mortgage broker with my business hat on, you know, I'd want to help Victoria and I want to make sure she was happy mm-hmm. because she switched on. She's got a cracking income. She's got a long life ahead of her. Mm. She could be a repeat customer. So uh, Exactly. And you know what I found there? I, and I can only speak from personal experience if sure. I may, but I haven't found that reciprocity with real estate agents. Mortgage brokers that I've... Um, liaised with have typically been a lot more proactive with me. Real estate agents tend to not take you as seriously. Yeah, it's funny because I was actually chatting with um, John, the co-host of My Millennial Money. Uh, Yesterday, we had an informal coffee. It's funny, when I'm like chilling at home and I'm bored, Mm. I always text John. I'm like, hey, you want to get a coffee? Oh, God, you're so cute. (laughs) And then like, he comes around. But um, And we were talking, we ran into someone else in the street or something and we were talking about by nature a lot of real estate agents, mm-hmm. their mindset is transactional only. Yes. So, what can I – and shout out to all the real estates listening. Um, it's what can I – can I sell this person a property? But they're really looking for um, people who can list with them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, someone who's 23 looking at open houses, their instant thing might be, oh, that's cute. Like, Oh, oh, it's the charity case. Yeah. I, got, I got the side eye. I got this look of like – have, are you lost constantly? Or mm. like, are you with these people? Like yeah. I went to doors and they wouldn't even take my name down. Yeah. And it's really disheartening. And it's, it's ageism is real yeah. in that in regard. In the reverse, yeah. Absolutely true. And the, I, I mean, I don't want to blank, make a blanket statement about all real estate agents, but especially the area I bought in, Melbourne's East, people are like, I want the old guy with some grey hair who rocks up in his Benz yeah. because he's going to sell his $4 million Turak blah, blah. Yeah, and I want in. Yeah. And I was, you know, but they, yeah, they don't have that attitude of, I found a lot of them, of building a relationship. It's you, like, yeah, all right. Do you reckon you would ever use a buyer's agent? Mm. Or, or you reckon you're... I guess, active enough to do your own type of research. Yeah, I probably, yeah, yeah. I probably wouldn't use a buyer's agent, yeah. but mm, yeah. never say never. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> is it because <laughs> I back you're, myself so much? <laughs> you're, you're a tight ass, and <laughs> no, no, probably. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, a good buyer's agent. Like if you're not in the area, or if you're really time poor, you can outsource that. It's just about mm. outsourcing. Yeah, um, definitely. Sweet. So, is there any other comments that you would say to somebody in their early twenties that wants to think about buying a property? Anything that we haven't you know, put out on the table that's a good bit of gem information, a gem of information? Um, I really think that you need to really take stop stock of the significance of the obstacles you feel exist. So many of them are in your head. Mm. Um, you know, I can't do it because I don't have a boyfriend. Mm. I can't do it because my parents can't afford to help me. I totally get that. And it can be really disheartening all the time. You feel like it's this... I mean, six figures when I was 16 was like, I'm going to be 40 before I can do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it seems not feasible at all. Mm. But I think what you need to do is say, you really don't need to have everything in order because then you'll be 30 and you'll be like, everything's not in order. Now I have to pay for my wedding. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. There will never be a time. You know, when they say there's never a right time to have a baby. I think that's the same way. Like, if you have the financial literacy and autonomy, I think you can do it at any point. So, question, do you, <laughs> like, your, like, do you run an emergency buffer? Like, are you cash heavy at the moment? Like, Yeah, I would because say, Because yeah. with that 20% deposit in that investment <laughs> property, it would be pretty much just floating itself, wouldn't it, with yeah. a tenant? Mm-hmm. Do you use a, a real estate agent to manage the tenant or do you do it yourself? Um, I'm planning to get a um, property manager. Sweet. Um, it's f- just for, ref- for people's reference because a lot of, you know, it's probably like $50 a month if you get like a decent person to handle it. Well, I um, pay po- uh, 8.8%. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty standard. Yeah. I mean, I think that you can do it yourself. I probably don't have the time to be as proactive well, as I'd like. I, I don't manage my own properties myself mm. because one um i'm outsourcing the administration of all the income the expenses for the property mm-hmm. like i send the council rates straight to the mm-hmm. um investment property manager yeah i send the i think the terry shear or whatever it is landlord insurance or any of mm-hmm. that crap straight there yep um i literally just outsource it and I don't want to be screening for tenants. No. Like, I actually don't care. It's yep. For me, it's the cost of doing business. And Definitely. every three months, they go in and take photos, send me a report. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a good rental manager is Definitely. debomb.com. Yeah. And in, in the scheme of things, the cost is negligible. Like, I can't mm. be th- – that's when I loosen the, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the reins a bit. So, you're, <laughs> so, you're, so, that property is going to be over there ticking along by itself. Mm-hmm. So, you can pretty much now – but based on your income, like you'd be able to save another 80K within the 12 months, wouldn't you? Yeah. If. So, do you want me to show me my spreadsheet? Um, yeah. No. Nah, but um, so, with my salary and my other residual income streams, probably in about 18 months because I also want to fit a trip in there, yeah. you know, 20K trip or whatever. Where to? Uh, I haven't done my big Europe find myself trip sure. yet. So, that's on the agenda, I think, as a gift to myself when I graduate. Perfect. Yeah. And where do you want to? Do your masters? Do you think? Uh, I'm planning to go back to the states. Yeah. Um, probably not up north because it's so freaking cold there. And we were there during like. <laughs> um, oh, when I was in, because I've got friends in Columbus, Ohio, which is uh, next to Michigan. Freezing. Yeah. It's like in February. It was <laughs> minus sixteen degrees. Definitely. 
Like we had, Savage. The, we had the first university closure, I think, in like 25 years. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I'm planning, again, my mind changes every other day, yeah. but I'm planning to probably go somewhere in the south, somewhere more affordable. I mean, can't really afford to go to New York or Miami. Yeah. But Do you think you need your master's? No, okay. I don't. You just want it. But um, the, actually the program I'm looking at is more of like a work integrated master's. Yes. So it's more the work experience and then the only thing – that I think you need it for being an international lawyer is that eligibility to pass the bar is a lot easier. Sure. Um, but again, I don't know. I, I literally will be 180 tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> hey, this has been a lot of fun yeah. and we might uh, we might end it there mm-hmm. and we may do another episode soon about your side hustles. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Victoria. All right. Thank okay. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.